This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Breaking tonight, Islamist terrorist Ali Harbi Ali will spend his life behind bars after being found guilty of murdering Tory MP Sir David Ames at his constituency surgery in October last year after a frenzied stabbing because the South End West member had voted in favour of bombing ISIS in Syria in 2015. Ali is facing a full life tariff when he is sentenced at the Old Bailey on Wednesday. But will today's verdict reignite a much needed conversation? about the serious and homegrown threat of Islamic extremism. This is what I had to say back in November about the mainstream media's refusal to ask the tough questions on the danger terrorists like Ali pose. We saw after the shocking terror attack that killed the MP David Ames last month that the media and the political establishment would rather talk about anything else than ask the hard questions about the homegrown threat of Islamic extremism. So we saw endless discussions about the online safety bill, general civility in society and the way we treat our MPs, all of which were completely irrelevant. These ISIS-inspired terrorists are the sorts of monsters who targeted Manchester children attending an Ariana Grande concert. They have no humanity and we must not rest while they continue to operate on our shores. The media must ask the difficult questions. How are they being radicalised? Who is behind the radicalisation? Why isn't the PREVENT programme working? Spiked chief political writer Brendan O'Neill also wants Ali's active, politically motivated terror to spark a dialogue. Brendan wrote, This was a political assassination carried out by a religious extremist. Will this act of terror stir up much discussion? Will the fact that you can be murdered in 21st century Britain for supporting Israel and opposing Islamic extremism become a talking point? I have my doubts. Ali Habi Ali will rot in jail, but our Islamist denialism looks set to stag on. And Brendan, the rest of the media don't want to talk about it, do they? But I think it's time we got real about the serious threat posed to us by Islamist terrorists. Absolutely, I agree. And I really agree with the comments you made in that uh, clip that you just showed from a few months ago. When you think back to the discussion in October last year, it, it's completely surreal to think about what politicians were focusing on at that moment. They were talking about mean tweets, the culture of being anonymous online, uh, horrible comments that are made to politicians and other public figures, as if the what happened to David Amos was just some form of trolling, as if he was just being, you know, someone was being horrible to him. In fact, what we now know for sure is that this was a political assassination motivated by Islamist extremism, motivated by religious extremism. And we need to get to grips with that. And, and what Ali said in his justification for his heinous crime, he said that there were two reasons why he thought Ames was a good target. The first is because he voted to bomb ISIS in Syria. And the second is because he was a member of the conservative Friends of Israel group. So this was a political assassination of someone for opposing ISIS and for supporting Israel. We need to have a serious discussion about that, how that can happen in 21st century Britain. Well, indeed. But the problem is, Brendan, the way this works, and we've both been through a number of these terror attacks now, is that initially the mainstream media say, oh, we can't talk about this because we should be celebrating the life of the person that was killed. Then 
the terrorist is charged so they can hide behind the legal process for not having the discussion. And now, all of these months later, they know that the public appetite has moved on. So what it means is yeah. there is just a conspiracy of silence. Absolutely right. And we have the same routine every time there's a terrorist attack. You know, you, people might change their social media page for a while. They might put up some flowers, put up a sad image or say, you know, express regret for what's happened. We lay some flowers. We might sing a song, Imagine by John Lennon or Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis. Those are the kinds of things we do. And then we move on. And what the political class and the media class tend to say is that anyone who focuses too much on these kinds of attacks could be driven by Islamophobia. They might unwittingly stir up hatred for Muslims. They use these forms of moral blackmail to try to silence political discussion and try to, to try to silence people's feelings of anger about these kinds of mass attacks that have taken place in recent years. So I don't like the, the culture of conformism and the culture of censorship that surrounds these kinds of attacks. It's all a form of Islamist denialism where we can't get to grips with the fact that this scourge really does exist. I completely agree, Brendan, because they don't have the same sort of problem having the discussions if it's around trolling online or if it's around uh, white extremism, or if it's around racism. It's only when it's Islamist extremism that the media seems to want to find excuses not to talk about it. Yeah, and you only have to compare the horrific murder of Joe Cox by a far-right terrorist with the killing of David Amos by an Islamist terrorist. And the difference in the approach, the difference in the discussion, uh, people still talk about the Joe Cox horror, as, as, and they're right to. It was a terrible event. You know, people still uh, make commentary on, on what that told us about the, the problem of the far right, the problem of right-wing extremism. But with the Amos killing, it's been subdued and it's been washed away from the public consciousness much quicker, I think, than the Joe Cox killing. So the comparison between those two things, I think, is really, really striking. And I think that one of the problems is there is this idea that Muslims can't cope with a serious discussion about Islamist extremism. They might feel offended, they might feel bullied, but the truth is that the majority of Muslims in this country are also opposed to Islamist extremism. They don't want these extremists in their communities. And a majority of them, I expect, would welcome an honest, open discussion about this political problem. So I don't like this paternalistic attitude of wanting to protect Muslims from offence and this censorious approach to a real problem of extremism. We really need to tackle this head on. Indeed, because until we start having the conversation, Brendan, this will keep on happening. These homegrown terrorists will keep on killing and it has to be pushed up the news agenda. And that means the mainstream media having brave conversations like the one that we've just had. So I really appreciate you coming on, Brendan O'Neill, to deal with this horrible breaking news today. And I hope he rots for the rest of his life behind bars. Neil Oliver is tonight's outsider. Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen are in a close race after the first round of France's presidential election. The president secured 28% of the vote, while the challenger took 23%, meaning they'll go head-to-head -head in the final round in less than a fortnight's time.
these campaign efforts allow us to reach the runoff without having lost our composure, our calm and our determination, our absolute conviction that we can win this presidential election. I solemnly call on my fellow citizens, whatever their leaning and whatever the choice they made in the first round, to join us. Partly fueling the dislike of Macron is his divisive COVID policies. In January, he vowed to piss off the unvaccinated, which he did by segregating society and keeping them out of it. So, Neil, are Macron's COVID chickens about to come home to roost? Well, to be quite honest, I mean, as an outsider, not my country, not my election, but as an outsider, I would like to see him uh, ousted. I really would. Uh, he, he was part of that group of, of leaders, Trudeau in Canada, Ardern in New Zealand, uh, leaders in Australia, uh, where, where else? You know, the list is long. Austria, Italy, Germany. The, the mask slipped from those apparently, you know, we, we had been allowed to presume liberal democratic leaders. And they, and they, well, either they revealed what they really were underneath, which is to say proto-totalitarian dictators, or they adopted, a, you know, a, a suit of clothes and a script prepared for them by, you know, others. But in, in any event, we, we saw something about them that we, we had not previously known. Uh, Macron, you know, he, I mean, he, had, he was using water cannon and pepper spray and batons, I, I think rubber bullets as well, against these citizens. He said the unvaccinated were not citizens. You know, as, as you say, he said he wanted to piss them off. He wanted to make their lives unlivable and unbearable. What amazes me about Macron, and he's not alone in this, is, is how short they seem to think our or their citizens' memories are. You know, it's only it's only weeks, maybe months, since they were behaving in that way, stamping all over people's rights, operating like little petty Napoleons. And then with an election, suddenly for Macron, it's all about being a Democrat and a liberal and fighting for the freedom of all French men and women. I mean, does he think that his people have had their memories wiped? You know, that, that his people are goldfish once around the bowl and they come back unable to remember anything. And I, I would say, you know, in, in, answer, in answer to your question, yeah, I, I would like to see the likes of Macron fall on this yeah, because there has to be payback for what was done to people during the last two years. So you would vote for Marine Le Pen if you were in France? Well, yes, I would. I, I, I would vote for anyone but, you know what? Yeah. Le Pen is the unknown quantity. You know, she, we don't know what kind of leader she would be. We don't know what she would do in power because she's never been in power. So what would she be like? It's anyone's guess. And I think the fact that people aren't able to, don't know that, it might just be the fact that she is the person who might beat Macron. And so if you wanted to be rid of Macron, you, you vote for Le Pen because she's the only person with a realistic chance of, of replacing him. Um, well, of course. And, and I can only imagine how tempting that must be for people that have had it right up to here with Emmanuel Macron. Well, of course. And, and Neil, it was very interesting to me over the weekend tuning in to some of the BBC coverage of the election results because their presenters felt like they could uh, brand Marine Le Pen a far-right extremist. 
Uh, they didn't take into account any of Macron's policies, uh, which have been far more extreme, I would argue, than virtually anything in Marine Le Pen's current manifesto. Well, yes, uh, that's the that's just the that's just the 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 useful ready smear uh, that is there to be applied to anyone uh, who in any way dissents or, or steps away from the the official or the or the government or the or the mainstream narrative. Anyone doing that is, is automatically tarred with the the far right or the extremist brush. It's automatic. I mean, in years gone by, she she might have been described as a as a nationalist, or or she might you know, and and her her um her defence of of borders and her and her her patriotism, if you like, might have been uh, remarked upon. But because she's because she's not of the of the uh, of the accepted government uh, script. Then she automatically just gets labelled as as far right as an extremist, and that that's happening to everyone, anyone and everyone that steps out of line by a millimetre. If you step away from what we're, if you if you stop reading off the laminated sheet, that increasingly yeah. it feels like we're handed, then you're automatically tarred as a as far right. It's it's yeah. meaningless. Well, of course. Whereas I would argue that segregating society, which is literally what Macron did, stripping away all freedom of yes. choice over what one puts into their own body. I would argue that is the definition of far-right extremism. Well, I, I have lost... I, I've, I've become so disorientated about left and right in politics. Well, indeed. It's, it's meaningless so, now, it's, Neil. It's, it's meaningless. I mean, You're completely extreme, right. Extreme. Extremism. Yeah. Extremism. And absolutely, yeah. what the likes of Macron and Justin Trudeau and Jacinda Ardern indulged themselves in during the last two years was surely extremism by, by any meaningful uh, definition or understanding of the term. Uh, and that they now, as I say, it's as though we've all had our memories wiped and we're supposed to forget the rabid extremism that these characters exhibited, you know, when it came to trampling all over people's rights, you know, Trudeau helping himself to the truckers' money, shutting down the crowdfunder pages, Ardern, Australians who can't leave their own country if they're unvaccinated. That Those kind of extremist measures were all across the piece. But there we go. Macron's amongst the first to have, you know, have, oh, suddenly it's an election. And he's got to he's got to try and put on put on the suit of clothes that he was wearing two or three years ago and pretend that he's all about vive la France and liberté and égalité yeah. fraternity and I don't I cannot believe that anybody is wearing it for a minute. No, well I just want to share with everyone once more your beautiful uh, description of 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 Macron, the loathsome narcissistic proto totalitarian misanthrope with money mummy. Issues. Uh, let's just <laughs> yes, let's just hope the French agree, Neil. Beautiful stuff. We'll speak again next week. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. But it's time now for uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. 
And there's nothing more controversial than being proud of your parents, as my guest tonight discovered a decade ago. Yes, it's been 10 years since this article in the Daily Mail turned Samantha Brick into an international hate figure and one of the original victims of cancel culture, just because she asked, why do women hate me for being so beautiful? Social media went berserk with the Mail's Facebook page, receiving 1.5 million comments on the article in 24 hours and trolls queuing up to tear Samantha down, with one even telling her she should be, quote, bricked to death. Samantha was dragged onto TV in the US and Australia and forced to defend her body confidence uh, before that was even a, co a concept, really. Well, and I can't believe this, friends actually ditched her over the controversy. While she tried to make the most of her infamy appearing on shows including Have I Got News For You and Celebrity Big Brother, the ghost of that article is still following Samantha around a decade later. So now, and I love this, she's leaning into the abuse and showing solidarity to self-assured women who find themselves in storms as intense as hers on a daily basis, thanks to Twitter, writing a brand new Daily Mail article in which, in which she is not only unapologetic about her statement in 2012, but riling the trolls again by saying, I am resolute because a decade on now 51 and pre-menopausal, no longer blonde, but brunette and still a proud size 10 to 12, I still think I'm beautiful. In fact, I'd say I'm even more beautiful than 10 years ago. And Samantha Brick joins me now. Samantha, you put yourself through it again. I am so impressed with you. What was the reaction like a decade on? Oh, well, thank you for having me on, Dan. I'm such a fan, uh, first of all, and I love my introduction, so thank you. <laughs> um, do you know, I've been going back and forth with my male editors for about six months on whether I should do it or not, because I thought, oh my God, do I stoke the trolls again? What, what will my family think? What will my best friend think? Because the first time around, I just wrote it. It was one of those things where something happened and it was a real kind of, you shoot from the hip, you pitch an idea, everyone goes, oh my God, I love it. Write it for us now. You write it, you file it, and you know what it's like, Dan. It didn't run for a few weeks, so I didn't think anything more of it. And then on the morning it ran, that's when my world changed forever, really. So when the anniversary was coming up, you know, and it's the same editorial team at the Mail, they're fantastic women, I love them so much. They're like, come on, will you do it again for us? Reflect back on what's happened over the last decade. Because so much has happened, Dan, as you know, we've had the Me Too movement, body, body, body positivity. And, you know, when, when that article first was published, trolls weren't really a thing back then. No. But, and, you know, at the time when I wrote it, I lived in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of France, I just got married. I was totally out of the London media scene. I didn't re really realise what a kind of massive tool Twitter was for sort of the general population. Um, and so, yeah, I did dip my toe back into this um, with a bit of trepidation. But when I started writing it and started thinking about it, I thought, you know what? I have got so much to say. So mm. many women have been in touch with me over the years um, about their experiences and you know, I still get them, you know, I'll still get a couple of, even today I'll still get a couple of months, you know, women talking to me about what, what they've been through as well. So it just seemed a really valid point. You know, everyone's talking about the menopause. Everyone's talking about being in your 50s. It's a real media um, pressure point at the moment. So I just yeah. thought, you know what, I'm going to go there. Let's do it. And what interested me about the article, Samantha, is that you are still getting hatred for being beautiful. You say there are still women 
in your life who avoid you or don't want to be friends with you because of your looks? This is true. And a decade ago, you know, in my sort of, you know, late 30s, early 40s, when this kind of thing was happening, or certainly my 20s and 30s as well, I put that down to them and I just squarely put it onto them and their sort of anxieties and their insecurities. But now a decade, you know, a decade on, I can see that, you know, a lot of women aren't happy with themselves and with their lives. And certainly living in France, um, women are really confident here. And it's kind of, you know, I've, I've got stepkids. I've, I've seen how they, they're brought up and how they're sort of um, exposed to society and the world at large at school. And they, 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 they have confidence ingrained into their DNA, really, from the get go. And so well, yeah, I was going to ask now, if you I look think... at women who are still trolling me, who are yeah. still flicking the virtual finger at me, I can see that it, you know, I just feel, I feel sorry for them, to be fair. Just really. Well, I was going to ask Samantha, do you release. think this is a uniquely British thing? Because, of course, if you look to the US, you have celebrities like Lizzo, who is Larger woman, very proud of it, very body confident, and she doesn't get much trolling at all. So, so do you think this is about Britain and the way that British people want folk to be modest? Yeah, I mean, yes. I, again, before I moved to France, I, I worked in telly for about 20 years. So I worked in the UK, I worked in the US. US people, you know, the US culture is to build you up. The British culture is to knock you down. And I think that's really true. We in Britain, we're very into fo false modesty. So I look great. Oh, well, do you think I look all right tonight? You know, when you've spent hours <laughs> getting ready and you know you, you know you absolutely rock, but you, you can't say that to anyone because they'll be like, check yeah. her, you know, who do you think she is? But whereas in the US, they'll be like, yeah, you look fantastic. Go, girl. And, and, and it's a very... I, I, and where does it come from? I don't know, Dan. But it's a really British thing that we need, we need to kind of get rid of in 2022, to be honest, because, we, you know, you see it on social media, you see it on the Insta stories... You know, I, I, I've got I've got nieces. They, they they can't be out and proud about how great they look, and they do. They rock. All girls of that generation rock, whatever they're wearing, however they're looking. But they even today in this century, they cannot say that without someone wanting to slam them for it. Well, stay beautiful, Samantha Brick. I am so glad that ten years on, you're now officially <laughs> uncancelled. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.